0: Welcome to the Green Lakes Seventh-day Adventist Church in this beautiful day in February. And welcome to those watching online. We are glad to have you with us. And thank you, Susanna, for filling in. So thankful to have your talents on the organ with us this morning. Really, really appreciate it. A couple of announcements I wanna call your attention to. Next Sabbath is Potluck Sabbath again, so spread the word, come for fellowship and food. Love to see you all there. And then in the evening, next Sabbath, we have our game night, always happening on the second Sabbath of the month. So come for that, bring a game, and have fellowship. And then the following Sabbath, we have our soup and praise again. So pay attention to those announcements coming up. At this time, I would like to invite Michelle, and she will call a couple of things to your attention as well.
1: Good morning. First of all, I wanted to say a little bit about this morning's music. Uh, Susanna has chosen to feature a set of variations for the organ composed by Jessica French. Jessica French is a young lady who lives and works here in the Seattle area. She originally trained as a professional organist doing her bachelor's at Indiana University and her master's at Yale University. Due to a medical condition, she had to abandon her organ career and switch to composing. She is a student of John Muehlheisen, a very famous Pacific Northwest composer. And over the last few years, she has made an international reputation as a composer of sacred choral music. Surprisingly, even though she's trained as an organist, she has written only one set of pieces for the organ, her principal instrument, and those are being featured by Susanna today. If you'd like to know more about Jessica and her career and her work, there are links attached to this Thursday's email. So thank you, Susanna, for bringing Jessica's work to our attention. The second announcement I wanted to make was that the Lecture Series Committee is delighted to announce that Dr. Michael Campbell will be our presenter for the spring lecture series on April 12 and 13. Dr. Campbell is a well-known and highly respected Adventist historian, and uh, is currently serving as the director of the North American Division Department of Archives, Statistics, and Research. Um, A a big department if you go by the length of the name. Um, Much of Dr. Campbell's uh, research into denominational history has centered around the 1919 and 1922 conferences. And out of curiosity, I would like to know how many of you are aware of these two Bible conferences and the impact they have had on the trajectory of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. Is this something that's familiar to you? I see... Two hands, <laughs> um, it's not your fault. <laughs> These conferences were highly contentious um, to the extent that the general conference president at the time, A.G. Daniels, instructed many times during the conferences that the stenographers stop taking minutes. So there has never been a complete documentation of what was said by whom and about what uh, <laughs> during, during these two conferences. Furthermore, the transcripts that were prepared were immediately buried. Uh, they were never published or made generally available. They were rediscovered in the ar- uh, archives in the 1970s and Roy Branson, who at that time was editor of Spectrum, published. A.G. Daniels' introductory remarks and some of the transcripts in the Spectrum magazine in the 1970s. However, in the 70s, Spectrum had a very limited audience, so this information has never really ever filtered out to the larger denominational congregations until Dr. Campbell came along and made it his life, life work to study these two conferences and the impact that they've had on the theology of the Adventist denomination over the last hundred years. Um, At the time of the conferences, World War I had just finished. Ellen White had died four years earlier, and the church was really, really trying to find its identity and find its way. And after these heated discussions, the church made the decision to hitch its star, as it were, to the fundamentalist evangelical movement that was sweeping the United States in the post-World War I era. Think Southern Baptist Convention. That's the direction that the church turned at that time. And that's had an enormous impact on our trajectory over the last 100 years and contributes a great deal to a lot of the uh, significant conversations that we're having in the denomination even today. Uh, In preparation for the uh, uh, seminars in April, We are going to make available in the church library a reprint of the Spectrum articles from the 1970s, as well as a copy of each of Dr. Uh, Campbell's two books. The one 1919 was published in 2019 on the 100th anniversary, and the one on the 1922 conference was published in 2022, again, on the 100th anniversary. Uh, these books are fairly easy reads. I read half of the 1919 one last night in a single sitting. So it won't take you a long time to go through them. But we wanted to make these resources available to you in preparation for the April seminars. If you want your own copies of the books, they are readily available on Amazon. Uh, both of them are available as Kindle downloads for about $8 apiece. Or if you like a real physical book, they're available for about $16 each. So we we'll hope you will take advantage of these resources and study up, do your homework for the April uh, uh, lecture series. Hope to see you there. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle. And I'm going to call Reed Ford. And as he's coming forward, one more comment on what Michelle was saying in regards to the lecture series. If you're like me, it may be that the sound of the director of archival research and statistics might not sound like that interesting of a presentation. But truly, what Michael Campbell is bringing to the table is showing how the past is present. And if you've ever wondered, why is our church so fundamentalistic on some of these things institutionally? It really traces back to what was happening in 1919 and 1922. Put it on your calendars, and I think it'll be interesting. Reed, go ahead and share your announcement for us, or thought. Hey, good morning, church. Um, my name is Reed, and I am helping out today with a uh, free meal that's taking place in Counterbalance Park at about two o'clock this afternoon. That's down in uh, Lower Queen Anne, and um, it's run by an organization called Praising Hands. That's run by Debbie Beaver. It's very small, and she. Gets her volunteers very last minute and so if any of you would like to join me in helping out with that um, find me after church or shoot me a text and we'll coordinate i appreciate every one of you thanks thank you reed and then the final couple of announcements that i have is we have our new gazette issue out and in here we also tell the story a little bit of jasmine who just recently got baptized as well as current events and things happening so look for the gazette We send it out via email, and it's also available on the table in the the back, so look for that. And then the final thing, as we go into the time of sharing the peace, so in just a minute, we're going to greet each other, share peace, wish one another well. We know that this time is over when you hear the organ play, so just a reminder for that. And at this time, let's greet one another and share the peace. Dear God in heaven, as the sun shines through our windows, may your warmth penetrate our heart today. My prayer is that everybody that's walked through these church doors this morning can receive your grace, your forgiveness, your love, and that we can extend it to others. Be with those watching from home this morning. May they be comforted, bring healing, bring peace. Be with us now, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Today's offering is for the local church budget. Donations are appreciated. Please join me for a quick word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this week and for all that you've given us. Please help us stay close to you in the week coming. Amen.
2: good morning, boys and girls. So this morning, we're going to start with a well-known Bible story out of the Gospel of John. So Jesus and the disciples, they're down near Jerusalem, and suddenly they have to go up to Galilee. And of course, they do that by walking, and it's a long way. And the shortest route takes them through Samaria. And in Samaria lives the Samaritans. Remember the Good Samaritan story? So, this is a separate country, kind of a separate group of people, and the Jews don't interact with Samaritans. They think they're inferior. So, they're going through Samaria, and they stop at a town, and the disciples go into town to get food, leaving Jesus alone. So, he sees a Samaritan woman, who ordinarily he wouldn't interact with her at all, but he goes and he says, hey, could you get me some water? she had gone to get water, because I'm thirsty. And she said, well, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And so he said, hey, if you knew who who I was, you'd ask me for water, but living water. So what he was referring to was the spirit of God, not the physical water, that he could give her this blessing that would last her, she could keep her whole life. And so that had a big uh, effect on her. And um, so, a question then is where were they getting the water? Here's a picture of somebody's taken of this story. There's Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, and he's asking her for water. So, where did she get the water? Huh? A well, that's right. That's what he's sitting on. So what is a well? And why is it built up like that? Yeah
3: A deep, 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 deep hole in the ground where water
4: is uh, where water flows.
2: Yeah, most of them are only deep, 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 but yeah, they're they're very, in fact, you could you could imagine if the top of the roof is the ground, the well could be this deep, as deep as this, and it's dug by hand. And they get lower down there, and they dig those by hand. And they put these stones around them, because if you just have a hole in the ground, people could be walking by and, oh, fall in the hole. Yeah. And uh, also to keep it clean. So that's the well. Okay, so a trivia question that's unrelated. Uh, What's the name of the brother and sister that went up the hill to fetch a pail of water?
4: Jack and Jill.
2: That's right. Yeah. So good that our education system isn't this. As... <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's a well. Okay. So I'm talking so well. Um, I'm talking about wells today because I just got back from a month living in Mexico, and it turns out that our property, we have a well, actually it's right in front of our front door, let's see. So here's a picture about 50 years ago, when I first visited the property, it's the property of my wife's. So you see right in the middle there, looks just like the picture we saw of Jesus and the woman, and that's the well. And even back then it wasn't, it had been filled in, it wasn't working anymore. But it's kind of, kind of cute. Um, here's a picture of the well today that I took when I was down there. So you see it's in the same place. Um, obviously it didn't move. And uh, that's our house that we built around it. Let's see if I have a... This is kind of taken from roughly the same angle as that old picture of the well. Somebody tried to paint it. I cleaned it up quite a bit for this uh, story and picture. It's kind of got in and it's filled in pretty much. Uh, But they did dig that um, all those many years ago and it's kind of nice to have that out in the front. Um, So that's why I thought I'd talk about Wells today for today's story. And if I have one more, oh, and we don't use that anymore. Haven't used it for 50 years. In fact, I couldn't find anybody who remembered using that well, but they did for years. I think it was dug probably a hundred years ago. And today, so this is a picture of the municipal pump. So this pumps water out of the aquifer and that's where we get our water now. Pumps in from the city, just like, uh, kind of like here. Um, so that's what we have now. We don't have a well. So that's that's all my pictures. So. A reminder that water is very healthy and uh, drink it. Make sure you're always getting enough water both the physical water that we get from wells and pumps and also the spiritual water that comes f- from studying the Word of God and feeling the Spirit of God in our hearts. Thank you for coming. <laughs>
1: We gather here today under your care and protection. Thank you for your kindness that never fails us, and please guide our thoughts and actions to bring you glory. Strengthen us and fill us with your peace. Now we pray as you taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread
3: Testament reading is from Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 1 through 6. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. The New Testament reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. May the Lord bless the hearing of the word. We are starting a new series called Experiencing God. In this series, we hope to highlight the different ways that people might experience God on their faith journey. One of the ways we want to do this is by hearing from our very own church members. So today, I would like to invite up Elise, and we are going to hear a little bit about her today. Elise is someone I have enjoyed getting to know. She has an incredible gift and skill of teaching, and this doesn't just apply to her professional life as a speech therapist or a part-time teacher, but also as one of our main Sabbath school teachers. Lisa, I've had the honor of getting to hear you teach the kindergarten classroom through through my office door, and I've heard you sing and tell stories and do crafts with the kiddos, and you invite them through voice and through crafts to participate with you. I want to ask, are there any ways that you connect with God through lesson planning?
5: Actually, it's been really amazing to have the opportunity to work with the kids um, because that is one of the ways that I connect with God the most, I would say, is that I love creating things, and I like that moment where I have a goal that I want to get to, and all these thoughts flying around in my head, and all of a sudden things come together, and I'm like, "Wow, this just like is amazing." It, it didn't. It feels like it's something that I didn't create, but just comes together. Now, what that looks looks like on the outside is just me sitting there, which Brent is always like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm thinking," <laughs> <laughs> but um, I can kind of just visualize everything coming together. For example like when i did the children's story at christmas time where i ha- gave the kids really bad presents and like i like was trying to find something along that theme and then i started to get these ideas about what might work and then i could just visualize it all and so i was like okay i hope andrews there cuz i'm going to give andrew the onion first and like and it just comes together and i get such energy and like Feelings of connection to God and, like, the, the kids and the congregation and in my work, too, like, the, the kids that I'm serving, which I just love.
3: Yeah. Can you describe a time in your connection with God that you had that awe moment?
5: Um, I think I get it the most from, from ideas and, like, connecting them together. Um, I had a kid, a 16-year-old that I was seeing, and we were talking about how he's communicating and how it all connects with his social skills and connecting with other people. And he had a few aha moments where he was like, oh, that means that when I do this, it leads to this, and I can do this. And I was like, yeah. That's so exciting. And he's like, you just love ideas, don't you? It's like a key for you. And I'm like, yeah. And I think that key opens up our connection to each other and to God. And ideas are really exciting for me that way because we can see the whole world in a different way. And it connects us to each other.
3: Yeah. My last question for you is... Mm -hmm. There are a variety of ways that people learn, and you've talked a little bit about how you experience God. Do you feel that your way is the best way?
5: Definitely not. I think when I was younger, I would sometimes drive my teachers crazy because <laughs> I, I was always in my own head and not paying attention, so I would not wish a classroom of me's on, a, <laughs> on an elementary school teacher. But I think it's so great that kids can, and even us as adults, can connect to ideas and to God in such different ways. And I'm glad to have the challenge and the privilege of trying to do that in the class with the kids.
3: Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. Can we say thank you to Elise? As Elise talked about, there are different learning styles, such as visual, verbal, auditory, and kinesthetic, or hands-on. However, often in the classroom or workplaces, and even worship, we offer very few methods of learning and experience. The best place often finds opportunity to learn through all modes, Many teachers are learning how to adopt this creativity to create diversity in learning, but typically not churches. In Walla Walla, I took a class from Pedrito called Church Worship. In this class, you talk about everything from the method of worship to the structure of a worship service. Something I remember talking about a lot was the structure of the inside of the church, the sanctuary. We were put into two groups to draw and design the ideal church sanctuary setup. This was and is challenging because our buildings are typically set up with rows of pews that face the preacher, and you listen to me or Pastor Kevin talk about 20 minutes or so, and you reflect. This setup, though, is only conducive to auditory listeners, learners, it does not usually invite a response. There is some participation in singing, but it still leaves many people who process differently to figure out how to engage in worship on their own. Often, this results in people not listening, not participating, and sometimes not attending. Katrina Bundy, in her article, Experiencing God Through Art, says, often art not just paintings or sculptures but also the process of interactive creating encompasses and can create worship as an encounter with god rather than a passive experience she also says that god is a sensory full god who reaches us through a variety of sensations our text today came from jeremiah God talks to Jeremiah and tells him to go down to the potter's house. There, Jeremiah sees the potter working with the clay. In verse 4, it says, But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. In other versions, it finishes with, So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. In the story, we find the artist reflecting the relationship with the Israelites have with God, but also with us. God says, can I not do with you as this potter does? God is reminding us that we are able to reshape. God can make a bad vessel good. He can take the clay that is too stiff or has rocks in it, and he can turn it into something new. God can make you a vessel of honor. The way that things come together is an important art form. And God must have known that when he created the world. Because God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it. And God said, Let there be light in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. God can and has created beautiful things. Perhaps one of the more popular forms of creativity that we have are books. Books create a fictional world that happens inside of your head. The words on the paper become a screen in your head, and they carry a sense of magic in that way. Right now, I am wrapped away in a book called The Next Person You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albom. Many of you may know his more popular book, Tuesdays with Maury. This one I am reading, though, is one of the more imaginative books that I've read. And it is about a girl named Annie who faces a tragic accident. Through this, Annie is whisked away into her her own heavenly journey and into an inevitable reunion with the five people who will show her how her earthly life touched others in a way she could have not fathomed. Thinking about her story made me realize that there is art not just in her story, but in the fact that sometimes we will never know, at least on earth, how or why something happened. And yet, for other people, you have no idea how you are touching the lives and hearts of them, and you may or may not know them. Some pieces we'll never get to see put together, but for now, we can connect our own dots. We can see how the picture that is being painted transforms. We can recognize the people in our lives that have made the impact, even if we did not know them. There's a painting I'd like to show you on the screen. It is called Moses in the Burning Bush. This photo is painted by Mark Chagall, and it depicts the three life stages of Moses. This photo is to be read or viewed from right to left, as the Hebrew scriptures are. First, it starts with Moses tending to his flock. You can see them above his head. Then we move to Moses with his hand over his heart because he's experiencing the burning bush in front of him. Above, you'll see an angel, which is representing God speaking through the burning bush. Surrounding the angel, you'll see some rainbow colors, which represents the, a promise that was made with Noah and the ark. Then moving forward, you have Moses again, and his face is illuminated, and he is before the Ten Commandments. And under Moses, you'll see in his robe, is the people passing the Red Sea. We can understand that the story that is being told through the strokes of a painter's brush, we get this opportunity to see this painting and observe Moses' life and try to feel and understand his story. Moses, on the other hand, had the opportunity to not just hear from God, but to see God in this very visual flame of art. God appeared to Moses and spoke to him from the burning bush. And I'm sure that at least once in your life, you have longed for God to speak to you in that way, in a very clear Moses, Moses kind of way. And while sometimes that happens, you've probably come to realize that you understand or hear from God in a very different way than auditory. You learned that God occupies the Bible. You learned that God is omnipresent, but in order to find him, you have to open up that good book. Now you know that God speaks through everything. And I hope that that doesn't sound too pantheistic for you, because truly, if we believe that God speaks only through our Bible, then we have limited our God. God is present in more ways and places than we could think. Today, we are experiencing that God is present in creative ministry, media, and arts. I read an article that talked about the Theophanies, which is just a big word that means the experience of God by humans. And I loved how it painted God's creative form. It says, scripture reveals that God speaks up in very surprising ways. God sends a message through a talking donkey in Numbers and a floating hand that offers a cryptic code in Daniel. Then, of course, there is Jesus. Jesus is the purest, most unadulterated manifestation of God on earth. But we don't always stop to to consider how strange it is that God speaks through a low-class worker from an insignificant town in a rather insignificant region. God has painted and crafted the Bible and its stories in a very unique form. We've talked about a few artistic and creative stories that take place in the Bible. We've talked about the painting with Moses in the burning bush, the story of the potter, and creation. But there are many more art forms that we connect with God with. Cooking is another beautiful art form in which many people seek and connect with God. I wonder if any of you have had that moment when you were eating something so yummy, maybe it was your mom's homemade most famous dish, cookies or pie, whatever it might be, and you call her and you say, Mom, remember this thing that you made when I was a kid? What's the secret ingredient? And what might she say? Love. I heard somebody say it. Love. Theology and cooking have this secret ingredient in common. In the Bible, we have chapters and chapters dedicated to showing love to people, telling us what love is, what it looks like, and finally, that love is above all. Love is the most important command. In cooking, a lot of ingredients are naturally so good on their own, but there are some that are more bitter. Brussels sprouts that need a little bit of help, and you need more understanding and love to know what to pair it with to make it more palatable, and can't we say the same about scripture? Some of it is bitter and hard to swallow. Wives, submit to your husbands. What do you mean, Paul? I thought that you were pro-female leaders like your best friend, Phoebe. But when we pair it with some more context, it becomes palatable again. Both are enjoyed best when received for what they are, labors of love. I will share that I connect with God in many ways, usually in the more abstract ways. Often when God is speaking to me about the big momentous things in my life, it is in the way that Elise talks about, where the big picture comes together, I have these pieces, and then it comes together and there's no other way it could have turned out. That's the answer. But in the mundane days and weeks, God often speaks to me through music. Music is a big part of my life and it is often why I will quote songs to you in my sermons. So as you go through this week, through the art and the music and the teaching, through all of the various forms of creativity and art, I invite you to reflect on the ways you experience God. How has God communicated with you? As we go through the series, we will highlight more ways of experiencing God, and we will ask that you will join us in meditating, how do you best experience the divine? <laughs> people we thank you for the art and experience of your love in your name we pray amen